Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the Thursday edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Hey, if you haven't done so, go over to Facebook at facebook.com slash mustreadalaska. Give us a like over there. There's incredible content on a daily basis. Hey, if you're not a Facebook person, that's totally fine too. Go to mustreadalaska.com, and you can catch everything that's on Facebook and more there. And finally, if you're into videos, we've got plenty of those as well. Go to youtube.com slash mustreadalaska for all great video content and we're putting out some great stuff but well welcome aboard this is the second episode of the podcast and i'm juiced and ready to go listen alaska has been on the forefront it's been in the national news maybe not for the greatest reasons there's been a lot of jokes cast at our expense but hey we're alaska we do things our ways and you know what i'm all about making sure we get it right not just doing it fast i know a lot of people are pretty upset about the delay and the division of elections here and and throwing some shade their way listen i'm not about that okay we don't know the inner workings could have been done better possibly could have been done worse absolutely but we are where we are right now and this week we are counting somewhere between 123 to 170,000 absentee ballots unfortunately we don't have any clue how many are actually out there. Uh, we always hear a range. We never hear a specific number. And when we do, it's always wrong. So at this point, we're just kind of guessing at this point, throwing some numbers out there and see what sticks. But there's some interesting results thus far in the race. Now, there is quite a few ballots counted yesterday, the 10th. And so those those updates were posted on the uh, Division of Elections site, and some interesting turnouts, some things that we need to talk about. And the first thing we're going to dive into is probably an important, one of the most important races, and that's the U.S. Senate race here with uh, Dan Sullivan up against Al Gross, and that's been a lot of money spent. I think last week I might have mentioned, Dan Sullivan told me Al Gross has spent about $35 million on this Senate seat, which is amazing. That is that is an exorbitant amount of money for Alaska, uh, particularly. We've I don't know if we've ever seen that kind of money being thrown around, but it is an extremely large amount. Dan Sullivan didn't have nearly that much money, but here we are. And it's actually looking really good for Dan Sullivan right now. And after all of the counts from yesterday, again, I'm saying this right now at about 5.45, let's say, give or take a minute or two, 5.45 on a Wednesday night, and I'm going to tell you right now that there hasn't been an update since yesterday at 10.52 p.m. So right now, Dan Sullivan is leading Al Gross 57% to 37%. That's a strong lead. Uh, obviously, that's going to start to trickle away as these absentee ballots get in, but that's a really strong lead. Strong enough where most of the mainstream media out there are calling the race for Sullivan, which is a huge win for Alaska. And I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. But Sullivan is in a strong position. Uh, it looks like unless some kind of Hail Mary, Doug Flutie, miracle Hail Mary type of thing happens. Hail Mary twice. 
it looks like Dan Sullivan is going to win the U.S. Senate seat here in Alaska. And that's big, uh, particularly if Biden actually holds on to the presidency. Now, obviously, he's been crowned the president-elect, but there are a lot of things going on right now. So currently, he's by, by all accounts, with the exception of the one that matters, he is the president-elect. He's got his transition team ready. And, you know, he's moving forward. So this this win, if this holds true throughout all the ballots, is huge for Alaska. Uh, it's also huge nationally for the Republicans because this marks if Sullivan continues to pull through and wins. That means that right now the Senate is 50 Republicans, and I believe right now it's 48 Democrats, which means, which means folks, that all eyes are going to be on Georgia. All eyes are going to be on Georgia because the runoff there really is going to make all of the difference. So that is really a big deal right now. So the Republicans have 50, the Democrats have 48, and we got two runoffs in Georgia that are just being watched like a hawk. In other words, it was a big win for Alaska to retain Dan Sullivan. And it's also a big win because if Biden, like I said, is president-elect, you better you better believe your sweet grandmother's cobbler pie that Biden is going to try to repeal and take back every every inroad that Trump and Governor Dunleavy and Don Young and the senators here have tried to do for Alaska to try to open up uh, harvesting of natural resources. All of that you can kiss that goodbye. You can kiss that goodbye. You guarantee the EPA is going to stick their tentacles in here and they are going to turn off the faucet because they don't want any of that to happen in Alaska. They look at Alaska as one big rainforest when that's not really the case. And Alaska's got incredible resources. And right now I am concerned, really concerned about what this will look like. But I think having Dan in there is 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 not just great, but it's going to hopefully help salvage what was... Uh, the great progress that was made over the last couple of years. So again, it's not over yet, but Sullivan has a, a good lead and a lot of mainstream media is calling out. Another race, which I don't think this is a mind blower for anybody, but they're calling Alaska for Trump. So those three electoral votes go right to the uh, the Trump train. Not surprising. Um, I think we were just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And with about a third of the ballots left to count, I think they're pretty secure that Trump won in Alaska. So Alaska stays red for now. Uh, interestingly enough, I thought that uh, Trump did better in 2020 than he did in 2016 in terms of votes acquired. 57% for Trump, 39% for Biden right now. So I mean, a sizable lead. It's a good lead, but things obviously that'll, that'll probably shrink as more absentee ballots are, are counted. So again, another good sign. I think the other thing about that really is it's great that Trump got more votes this time around because it shows more engagement and activity within the Republican slash conservative circles, which is what we need. We need that in Alaska here. And then lastly, uh, it broke a little bit later this morning and into the afternoon. Uh, a lot of mainstream media is, is calling the race between Don Young and Elise Galvin. Uh, they're saying Young is going to win it, and I, I totally concur with that. Right now, he's got a 58 uh 42% lead, um, you know, 58 to Don Young, 42% to Elise Galvin. Again, I'm rounding up here. 
And uh, it looks sizable. I mean, he's got more than 40,000 votes. Uh, she would have to do some some serious vote getting tonight. She'd have to get 73% of the remaining ballots. So, I mean, not, in, not impossible, but highly unlikely. So another win for the Republicans and conservatives here in Alaska. John Young doing a great showing. He's the lead vote getter in Alaska, period. Always great. So uh, I think that's great. I really do think that's great. I think there was a good showing in Alaska for conservatives, for Republicans. Guys, wake up. Wake up. My gosh, I am looking at the landscape here in Anchorage, and I am thinking, man, we have got to wake up. You know, and that transitions really well to an article I wrote this past week about uh, the recall efforts that are not even being made. They're mostly being denied by the municipality the, the municipality's clerk's office. Uh, for some reason, there have been multiple recall efforts that have been rejected based on what those who oppose the decision of the municipal attorney as narrow and really short of scope. So here's the, here's the story, all right? The, um, there's a group out there that has put in a recall effort for both the acting mayor currently, Austin Quinn Davidson, and also for uh, Cameron Perez Verdia, okay? Both were rejected. Both were rejected because, and I quote, the allegations that an assembly member voted yes on an ordinance without more is nothing more than a statement of political disagreement with the elected official's legislation decision. But this is not a valid basis for recall in Alaska. Now, mind you, the three components that kind of have grounds for for a recall, get this, misconduct in office, incompetence, or failure to perform prescribed duties. Now take a second. Do you think that that decision falls within the scope or the reason or the grounds for a recall? And here's what I mean by that. It really feels like Kate Vogel, who is the municipal attorney, is actually taking such a narrow view of what can be considered, and again, misconduct in office, incompetence, or failure to perform prescribed duties. Here's the deal, people. She's playing judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to this, even though, and listen to this, the municipal attorney does not actually make the final decision on a recall. It's the clerk's office. The attorney provides a recommendation. Right now, the clerk's office is not taking it as a recommendation. They're taking it as gospel. And whatever the municipality decides, the attorney's office decides, they're just moving forward with. So, again, we have a real problem right now with a, a bit of a conflict of interest. Because Kate Vogel is, is the scope for which she's viewing these recall efforts, which, by the way, are only 200 words. You can only share why you want to recall in 200 words. She's taken that and applying the most strict scope of those three very broad grounds for a recall. And this is not the first time. Listen, Meg Zelotel has been, uh, a petition has been denied twice. Now with Austin Quinn Davidson and Perdez Verdia, that's been denied twice. Uh, the Felix first one was denied. The second one has gone through, but with insanely watered down language, along with ridiculous um, restrictions on how you can gather signatures, but apparently 
uh, the people that are in charge of this recall effort have found out that they can um, they can do what apparently the, the municipal attorney said they couldn't, which was hire signature gatherers, which is pretty standard. And the clerk's office said no. Well, doesn't seem like that's the truth. So we'll see where that goes. So the only recall effort right now out there is Felix and... You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. They're they're currently those that are in charge of the recall effort for Felix are out there gathering signatures. Um, it looks like they probably have to gather, and I'm just trying to do straight math off the top of my head, somewhere in the range of seven thousand ish, maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. I honestly don't know for sure, but it definitely is around seven thousand, give or take. So. Again, just a just a mess at the municipal level right now. And it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. Listen, what did we think when Berkowitz stepped down was going to happen? What did we think? I mean, did we think we were going to actually pull back? That's for you, audience. Do you think we were going to pull back? I don't think so. See, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And for me, at least Berkowitz was sort of predictable right now the current acting mayor it's all hands on deck it's we are shutting everything down the consequences for it they don't care listen they just signed a 10 million dollar stimulus package for to be put back into the small business relief fund where's that money going where's that see people are this is this is the thing we as as citizens we as people that are are living in this and again i gotta implore this to you guys it's important for you to always follow up. Where's the money? How is it getting poured out? Is it doing what they said it was going to do? They passed it instead of doing Jamie Allard's and Crystal Kennedy's $17 million plus $17.43 million relief fund for small businesses to fill that, that uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, fund up. They decided to do 10 and part of that is because they didn't want to remove funds from an area which they're going to later use to purchase those buildings. I mean, it's standard politicking. At least that's my my opinion. I can't prove any of that, but that's my opinion. So anyways, I mean, we've got to we got to really be careful and it is amazing right now. We can't even recall our own elected officials because the 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 viewpoint, the the actual measure used has been so constricted that it doesn't even follow what the the spirit of a recall effort was, which is to be broad so that anybody, with the exception of, you know, so there's not lawyers and politi- politicians just doing it. It was supposed to be for average people. And that's been taken away. Now, there's more discouragement than ever. It was great. I got to, uh, I got to talk with one of the, the individuals who is, is sort of leading this effort. And... You know, I think he nailed it on the head when I when I asked him the question, wait, what's going on? And David Nees is one of the recall organizers. And he said, listen, we're just really frustrated with it, the decision that is. Vogel is, you know, tightly interpreting a law that is supposed to be loosely interpreted so the general public, not attorney types or full-time politicians, can participate in the process without being tangled in red tape and regulations. And I think he nailed it. If, if people can't recall their elected officials... Because they don't feel like the officials are actually working on their behalf, but working on their own interests, which is totally counterintuitive to being a public servant, particularly in that role. 
then what do we have left? And if the clerk's office is not willing to make some of its own decisions, but only the decisions based on the municipal attorney, Kate Vogel, then, I mean, that's going to be tough. A lot of Alaskans are going to be very, very upset about that. And I don't blame them. And you're seeing it all over social media right now. Um, here's the thing, Save Anchorage and Take Back Anchorage and all these groups that are out there. It's You can't just talk about it. There's got to be more action. I mean, you guys have done a great job over the summer with protesting. But, you know, if if you want to see civic action, you got to do it in the correct manner. And, and, and do it in a way that's going to to help uh, foster the elected officials you want. That's really the deal. I think I think anything else is just a distraction. Name calling or anything else. I think with anything that you do, um, it's important to not uh, to be a distraction to the real the real cause, which is to get yourself heard, get the people that you want to see do the do the policies that you want enacted in office. And that's just my recommendation. That's my two cents. I'm I'm not I'm not in you know, I'm not into I'm not in social media right now. I, I take a break. Too much, too much going on, people. But speaking of social media, I, I think it's really fascinating right now what we're seeing in a couple different areas. Number one, and one of the most prime examples right now is Al Gross for months on his social media platform has been just kind of trickling out, te- like just, just teasing tweets about what's going on in the polling. Okay. So he's got, uh, like I said, he had 35 million. So he's got a lot of pollsters to work with. He's got a lot of people that are trying to feed him information. And throughout probably the last, since September, really, maybe even a little bit before, he's been throwing out polls that suggest either he's closed the gap and or He's overtaken Dan Sullivan in in a lot of these polls, which is fascinating, which is fascinating. So he threw out a tweet on September 25th. And again, I'm going to be writing about this for Must Read Alaska uh, once all the votes are in because it's it's fascinating. So on September 25th, he says our race is tied 43 percent to 43 percent, which scares Mitch McConnell into running 1.6 million in attack ads against me which is sort of ironic because you've just been running attack ads against Dan for ever, it feels like. Man, YouTube will never be the same for me. Brutal. Just brutal. Um, yeah, so he, he's kind of been, again, throwing out tweets. He throws out another tweet from a guy named um, Zach Cohen, who's a blue check marker here, who says, Scooplet, a public policy polling survey conducted late last week found... And this is on August 31st of this year. Dan Sullivan is tied with Dem-backed indie challenger Al Gross at 43%, plus or minus 3.9. So, wow. Again, just interesting. He's Now, Sullivan, uh, really, uh, there was no indication that that was true. But these, again, are just pollsters from outside the state doing their thing. And of course, Gross says, boom, new PPP poll shows that I'm tied 43 to 43 with Dan Sullivan in Alaska. And again, just kind of pushing the donation button. You know, uh, we had a, a local uh, statewide reporter here. It's a new poll from Independent Alaska, a super pact supporting independent Alaska U.S. Senate candidate Al Gross has Gross just 1% behind incumbent GOP U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan. That's September 28th. 
Gross is running with Democratic Party's nomination, but an independent. Okay. So throughout the entire campaign trail, especially starting in August all the way through, Gross was just throwing out these tweets in regards to polling data. Now, as it's showing, man, that is that is something. That is not true. So the real question is, is where was Dan get where was um, excuse me, where was Al getting all of these numbers? And do we need to really look at polling? Do we need to look at pollsters and, and how we do this process? Because right now this is so far from the truth. Now, again, I totally understand we've got votes to count. But I don't think, and if you got mainstream media calling it, again, they're not gospel, but it looks like Dan Sullivan is winning this race. So it'll be interesting. I'm taking a deep dive into that. Al Gross putting out these numbers and getting these numbers from a lot of his his uh, paid staff here. You know, uh, the Hearsted Strategic Research, you know, said that it's poised to, you know, Democrat Al Gross is poised to win the campaign for U.S. Senator, according to Harstead Research, on September 20th to 23rd phone survey, about 602 Alaskans. And so what they have it as, it looks like they actually don't even include what percentage he's going to win by. But it's just a, it's a press release that's gone out there. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. So if Dan loses, not only is it $35 million down the drain, but it certainly does look very strange that he's been putting out for a while on his official Twitter account all, all of these uh, polls that would indicate him being uh, either tied with Dan or ahead of Dan for the last few months. Just strange. Just something to think about. Uh, I'm sure I don't know how long those tweets will be up. I've got a bunch of screen grabs, but I don't know how long they'll be up because, man, that, that certainly doesn't, doesn't bode well at all. So I think there's a lot to take away. And some of the things I want to do here is I want to look at some of our local elections, some of the things that are really popping up, some of the races that have changed, which are really important to to look at because, man, things have changed in some areas dramatically. And one of those is, and I'm scrolling down to it right now, Senate District H, uh, Madeline Geyser versus Bill Wolachowski. Uh, That flipped pretty substantially. Bill's got a uh, about a 58% uh, to 42% uh, lead in there over Madeline. Man, there's there's a lot that has kind of changed in the landscape of Alaska right now. And, and one of the most intriguing ones, and I thought this might be interesting just to see because there's still more votes to be counted. But if you look down at House District 16 right now, uh, Paul Bauer and Ivy Sponhold, she's winning 40. So she's got 53% of the vote. He's got 40 with, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't see much challenge there now. Unfortunately for, for Paul, uh, you know, I think he's, he's kind of lost that race, but I don't know. It could be a, it could be a comeback for all I know. Some interesting ones to note for sure. Uh, right now, district 27 has not had all their votes counted. So, you know, Lance is still in the lead, 61% to 39%. Um, it looks like James Kaufman in House District 28 has a commanding lead still over Suzanne, Le- Susan LaFrance, Suzanne LaFrance. I always get those wrong. I know. Um, man, yeah. So there's there's been some changes. One of the uh, biggest changes, and I think the, re- the Republicans were looking at this particular race and thought, man, if this changes... If this race turns out to be 
uh, if this house, or excuse me, if this Senate seat flips, that would be an interesting indication of where the state is going, just because of the absolute stranglehold that was that was on the seat, and and part of the problem is part of the reason why this is such a big deal is how the Republican candidate came out uh, really in a fury. Like when we looked at the numbers on election night, it looked very, very, very good. And now that more of the, you know, absentee ballots have come in, um, things have changed considerably. And so we're just kind of watching uh, two of these races right now. And I am, I am scrolling to find where it is here. There it is. Boom. So. Man, I am scrolling like a fiend right now. One of them is Mel Gillis and, and Calvin Scratch. Uh, that flipped considerably. Now uh, Calvin is leading 52% of the vote to Mel's 47 to almost 48% of the vote right now. So that was that was a big change in House District 23, which was it wasn't a Senate seat, excuse me, it was a House seat I was just referring to earlier. Um you know, Kathy Hensley was leading that. Chris Tuck was really far behind. Now that seems to have switched dramatically. Uh Chris Tuck is ahead 47% and uh, excuse me, Chris Tuck has 47% of the vote. Kathy Hensley has about 43, almost 44% of the vote. Uh, again, still, it's tough. It's tough. So a lot of movement, a lot of changes right now. And I think this is one of the things that, you know, as we're looking through uh, the wreckage of this election series, it's going to be incredibly important to look at and see, man, where did, where did we go wrong? Where did we go right? Where did some of the polling come in wrong? Obviously, Al Gross is going to ask his people. Um I think there's a lot of good stuff that we're going to learn about this election. And one of the things that I still think we need to remember is that there was a good showing for conservative candidates. Even so, even some of the seats we thought, well, is there a chance? And there wasn't. Uh, the absentee ballots came in and, and showed that, you know, a lot of those absentees were Dems that were just sitting there. So obviously there's been a couple of changes in, in House districts and in the Senates, but I think it's a big, important uh, review. The 2020 election cycle will be huge to review. Now, the two last two things I want to look at are these ballot measures. Man, these ballot measures are, are insane. Right now, ballot measure one is is holding strong at 60% of the vote that says no and 39, 40% of the vote that says yes. So, I mean, if we're averaging up, it's 61% to 40, which is a little interesting. Um, I guess it would be 61% to 39. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. That seems to be holding strong. Now, the ballot measure two, which has been the one we've been talking about here at Must Read quite a bit, which encapsulates a ridiculous amount of, of different equations in the ballot is essentially these three things. Really these two things, but these three things. Number one is ranked choice voting jungle primaries, and then the removal of outsider, quote, dark money. And right now, 52% uh, of the vote is no, do not pass the ballot measure, and 47.5% is yes, pass it. And that's a narrow margin. We're talking 
Wow, we are talking less than 3,000. Excuse me, not that. I'm doing math terribly right now. I mean, there is some wiggle room there, but not a lot. Looking basically at 21, like 12,000-ish votes difference, which is still enough. There's still enough absentee ballots to make that up for sure, which is a frightening proposition. It's frightening. The fact that they could change the entire election system in Alaska is frightening. And I and it's not for the better. It is not for the better. Ranked choice voting is difficult. As a matter of fact, I wrote a piece on the fact that Massachusetts actually voted against it. And most of the rural or outside areas of Boston were the ones that, that voted so heavily against it that it got shot down. And that campaign actually outraised the opposition 3,000 to 1. So those in favor of ranked choice voting, and that was the only thing on the ballot. It wasn't the two other things that are in ours here in Alaska. But that ranked choice voting uh, campaign raised about 3000 to 1 uh, more dollars. So, I mean, amazing amount of money going into that. It's the same group that got ranked choice voting passed in Maine. So they're out there, and they're saying they're not done. They're coming back, and I highly doubt if the ballot measure 2 doesn't pass, I guarantee you they're coming back to try to do it again. So Alaska's got to be aware. But... That's that's really something to be on the lookout for as well. And again, as the night wears on, we're going to find out more information. And I, I suggest you sticking around to Must Read Alaska, whether it's on Facebook or on uh, on the actual website itself, because we are pumping out content on a daily basis. I want to thank you all for joining us. Again, if you haven't had a chance, go to Facebook.com slash Must Read Alaska and give us a like. Go to YouTube.com slash Must Read Alaska. Give us a subscribe. Make sure you hit the notification bell. And my name is Scott. I will see you next week.